Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. Happy Lag Ba'omer to you. It's that very, very special day of the year. I hope everybody's having a great time staying safe as you do. It is such a unique day. It really is, Lag Ba'omer. Maybe a little bit misunderstood. I know that everybody knows that it's a time of celebration, it's a time of bonfires. Not necessarily sure that everybody understands why. So that's part of what we're going to do today. Today on Fresh Thinking, I thought that because it is Lag Baoimer, which some people call a minor holiday, and I think what they mean by that is that there are no restrictions on things like driving, using electricity, cooking, etc. It's not really a minor holiday. In fact, it's quite a major holiday. And one of the reasons I say that is because today celebrates the Yurtzeit, the passing of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. And he was one of the greatest Kabbalists ever. Some people may even call him the father of Kabbalah, the father of Kabbalah. I, I sometimes get uh, frustrated at that pronunciation, Kabbalah, because it uh, often is used in a an inappropriate context. But we'll leave that for another time. So I thought in honor of this day, which some people even call the Rosh Hashanah of Kabbalah, the Rosh Hashanah of the mystical tradition, let's do this. Let's discuss just like almost a primer of some of the fundamental Kabbalistic concepts. Now, this is not a full-blown Kabbalistic lesson. You need to qualify to be able to study Kabbalah because you have to be of a certain age and maturity and insight. But there are certain concepts which I think we know about or we've heard about and here's a great opportunity to flesh them out. So I'm going to throw the ball into your court right up front and let me know which Kabbalistic concept that you've ever heard would you like to understand? Send them in 34519 if you'd like to SMS or WhatsApp 061-895-1019 or tweet at ChaiFM and at Rabashish. And let's see how many different concepts, Kabbalistic concepts, mystical concepts we can get a handle on in the course of the time allocated today. So bear in mind, obviously, it's going to be very much a primer. It's going to be just a, a little bit of insight. We can't do justice to any topic, not in the time allocated, and quite frankly, not even in, in uh, the whole week's worth of programming. We wouldn't be able to exhaust a single topic in Kabbalistic literature. But quite sure that there are things that are either something you've heard or something you've read or something you're not sure if we really believe from a Kabbalistic perspective. So here it is, open Open mic, open season, open lines. You are very, very welcome to call in. Uh, 010, let's do this differently. 01014030202 if you'd like to call in. Otherwise, the very common way that people communicate on this show is in text. So send your text, 34519. Which topic of Kabbalistic teaching would interest you? WhatsApp, 0618951019. Now, it is interesting if you, I don't know if you followed this at all, but last night in Meron, Meron is a small town. I don't even know if it qualifies as a town. It's not much more than a village in the north of Israel. They, the population is tiny. But last night, as we went into Lag Boimer, and as happens every single year, because there is the burial site of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the so-called father of Kabbalah, the original mystic in a sense, although that's not really fair to say because Moses was a mystic and Abraham was a mystic, but 
in in terms of teaching, in terms of crystallizing and distilling Kabbalistic information in the form of a work, a very famous work called the Zohar. So Rabbi Shem Barichai is that person. He's buried in Meron, and every single year on Lag Bo'emer, in honor of his Yortzeit, literally hundreds of thousands of people go there. Pay homage. They go to pray. It's a very powerful day today. We're told that your prayers could be answered today. We're told that miracles happen on Lag Boimer. And so people throng there. It's, it's quite something. If you've never experienced it, it is a very, very unique experience. And people are there actually from days in advance and they remain there for days afterwards because the truth is it's not that easy in the space of time of these 24 hours with the volume of people to really get close. To that shrine So it is a day It's a day of mysticism One of the reasons that we celebrate with bonfires Is to illustrate that The Torah is compared to fire The inner secrets of the Torah Are like that bonfire That that incredibly powerful source of energy It's not just your ordinary candle It's something more intense Something more powerful Something in a sense more scary if you've uh, seen in Israel, they had all kinds of warnings about bonfires this year because apparently there were a lot of uh, strong winds and people are afraid always that it might cause some kind of danger. In a similar vein, the more spiritual, esoteric, mystical side of Judaism also, in a sense, poses a little bit more danger. You might get sucked into something which is beyond what you can understand. It might be too too deep, too abstract, or too easily misunderstood. Maybe that's one of the things that people always want to know about Kabbalah. Why? Why is it so secret? Well, here's your opportunity. We don't have to keep it all that secret. You can send in a particular request, a topic, a notion, an idea, a concept that you've heard about that you believe to be Kabbalistic and you'd like to know a little bit more about it. And I do have a couple of my own in case if people are shy and don't, don't want to start sending them through. So quite happy to share some on my list, but I'm really curious to hear what is on your list. And I think we also have to know that when we speak about Kabbalah, when we speak about esoteric Judaism, we need to know that it's not necessarily all that exciting, pizzazzy kind of stuff that people make it out to, to be. A lot of it is really technical. It's like the person who wants to know how to create an, an app or how to build a computer, but doesn't want the hard work of learning how to code. Well, it does, just doesn't work that way. A person who would love to be able to have some kind of accessory or a car or whatever, but doesn't want to know engineering. So Kabbalah kind of gives us that. It's it's the code. It's the engineering. It's the higher um, higher level stuff of Judaism. And that's why a lot of it really goes right over our heads. Then again, a lot of it is quite compelling. A lot of it is very interesting. And what is intriguing about Kabbalah is that on the one hand we're told that it's completely out of reach of the average person and yet on the other hand we are told number one that every one of us as Jewish people has a responsibility to study every section of the Torah that implies that we have a responsibility to get ourselves to the caliber that we can study the more esoteric part of Judaism and then you had <coughs> admittedly not Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai himself but a subsequent very famous Kabbalist called the Arizal Rabbi Isaac Luria who said that it's now a requirement we've reached a stage in history where it's become required to share the mystical insights of the Kabbalah so it's it's a paradox. On the one hand, we're told it's beyond our reach, and on the other hand, we're told that it's something we're supposed to stretch out and try to achieve. So seeing as today is that special day, I thought 
let's let's do some. Let's do a little bit of basic introduction to Kabbalistic concepts. It's also because it is like normally we don't play music on on the show. We like to fill it with as much intellectual content as possible and conversation as possible. But because it is like Boimer and it's a very great day of celebration, so I thought it would be a good idea just to add a little bit of music to our show today while you're mulling over which Kabbalistic concept you'd like to know more about. Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. So we're talking today because it is Lag Boimer, the yurt site of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, author of the Zohar and what some people may call the father of Kabbalah, of Jewish mysticism. So I thought it would be a nice idea to talk about some of the key concepts within Jewish mysticism and inviting you to be part of that conversation and put forward which particular things you'd be interested in hearing so you can sms 34519 or whatsapp 061 if you've got a particular topic that you would like to hear discussed um in the next what's it 50 minutes or so no it's less than that 40 minutes or so so here's an interesting one um i didn't actually see this coming although i should have ingrid says have what about gematria now, uh, and, and then the question goes on, Gematria, what about numerology? Now, I think a lot of people confuse Gematria with Kabbalah. I'm not saying that we don't use it as a technique within Kabbalah, but I am saying that Gematria is used as a technique in other areas of Torah that are less esoteric than Kabbalah. So what on earth am I talking about? Let's, let's unpack that for a moment. Gematria works on the following principle. Every letter in the Hebrew alphabet has a numerical value. So Aleph, the first letter, equals 1. Bays, the second letter, equals 2. And so you go until you get to Yud, which equals 10. Then <clears throat> the next letter, which is called Chof, or Kof, is valued at 20. Lamed, the next letter, is 30. And so you go until you hit 100, which is the letter Kof. You then have a few more letters, Resh, Shin, and Tov, which represent 200, 300, and 400, respectively. And basically, then, when you combine letters together, that's how you form complex numbers. So, the idea is of gematria is this. If I take a word in Hebrew, and I look at the particular letters of that word, I can then establish what the numerical value of that word is. Fine. Great. Why would I need to know that? So we then start to use it to cross-reference. If you have two words that might be spelled altogether differently, but they happen to calculate up to the same total amount of numbers, so the same total of gematria, then we'll say that there's a connection between those words. For example, first one that popped into my mind, don't know why this is the first one that popped into my mind, but nonetheless, so you take the word Amalek, which is the name of the arch enemy of the Jewish nation, has the same gematria value as the word Safek, which is doubt or or, or blurriness un, uh, when, you're, when you're not certain about things Uncertainty And that is our greatest enemy Our greatest enemy is uncertainty When you don't know where you stand When you don't know what you believe So that's the kind of That's not Kabbalah 
that usage of matching up numerical values is not esoteric. It's a technique that we use for what is called derush, delving into the meanings of words and from that learning things about how perhaps they associate to other words or to other concepts. Interestingly, the Mishnah tells us in Pirkei Avois, in the Ethics of the Fathers, that gematria is what we call parperois lechachma. It's not essential wisdom. It's not the fat. It's not the meat of learning. It's parperois. It's like the, it, it's like the forschbeis. It's the appetizer. It's to get you excited. But it's not the real bulk of what the Jewish experience of learning is all about. So it's important to know that because people get very excited about gematria to the point, of course, that you know how many of us associate things that that we own with the number 18. People want to have an 18 on their number plate. People want to have an 18 in their cell phone number. Why? Because 18 is the gematria value of the word chai, which means life. It's nice. It's beautiful. It's geschmack. It's inspiring. It's not necessarily deep or developed. There are areas of Torah that are very developed, that are very in-depth. And gematria is not necessarily one of them. Now, I know that in today's world, and that was part of Ingrid's question, there's a lot of fixation on numerology. So you take the numbers and then you add the numbers and you get to a single total. For example, if you had the number, the, the number 245, you would say 2 plus 4 plus 5 and, and come to significance. And you'd say this particular number has that particular meaning and that particular number has that particular meaning. While we do in Judaism associate meaning with certain numbers, for example, the number 10 is seen as the number of completion. The world exists because of 10 powers that God has invested in it. That's why the system of morality is encoded in 10 commandments. And that's also why the human soul is made of 10 facets. So 10 is a number of completion. Seven is a number that is associated with the natural order. Seven days in a week, seven years in an agricultural cycle, seven elements to human character. Naturally, if seven represents the the normal and natural order, then the number eight represents going beyond the normal and the natural order. It's the number of miracles. So the bris circumcision is on the eighth day to imply that this is a supernatural kind of relationship that we're forging. So yes, there's a lot of number teaching within Torah, not limited only to Kabbalah. And quite frankly, it's not true Kabbalah that. That is not true mysticism. It may to us seem a little bit intangible, a little bit esoteric. So we like to believe it's Kabbalah that doesn't even skim the surface. So I'm glad that that one came up. Which others would you like to speak about as well? Uh, which Kabbalistic concept has always piqued your interest and you'd like to test it? Is it really Kabbalistic or what on earth does it mean? Here's your chance. Three, four, five, one, nine by SMS or you can WhatsApp 0618951019 and you can email on air at chaifm.com as Rene has d- just done and we're going to come back to Rene's story moment uh, to her question. I'm sorry, momentarily. In the meantime, you do need to know that we can pay HyperNord as the following specials which are valid until the 6th of May. They have potatoes, 4 kilograms, gem squash, 3 kilograms, onions, 3 kilograms, butternut, 4 kilograms, sweet potatoes, 2 kilograms, or tomatoes, 2 kilos. Buy any four of those for just 100 rand. They have Dejay, is that how you pronounce it? Fleece-covered hot water bottles for 49 rand. They also have plush-covered 
not freeze covered, plush covered hot water bottles for 79 Rand. You can get an Exco 1.8 liter flask in assorted colors reduced from 129 Rand 99 to just 99 Rand each. The one liter each writer coffee plungers have gone down from 199 Rand to 149 Rand. Visit their store for more amazing specials and in-store competitions. That's pick and pay Norwood. If you have just joined us with 28 minutes to the hour, it is Fresh Thinking You with Rabbi Shishle. Today is Lag Ba'omer. Some people call it the Rosh Hashanah of Jewish mysticism, the Rosh Hashanah of Kabbalah. It's a day to think about the mystical, and that's why I'm inviting you to choose a topic or a concept that you've perhaps encountered, heard about, wondered about from the Kabbalistic literature and say, what does it mean? What's it all about? So Rene has sent us an email as follows, this war, Gog and Magog, is this in the Kabbalah as well as in the Torah? And does it have to take place? So, the story of a war of Gog and Magog is predicted. It's supposed to be one of the elements that's supposed to happen just before the Messianic age. And it's directly out of scripture. So, the discussion is right there in the Torah. You do not have to go to the Kabbalistic. What I find interesting is the question, is this in Kabbalah as well as in the Torah? There's two things I want to address about that. In fact, there's three things I want to address about that. Just because of language usage and how we make reference to things, quite innocuously not realizing that actually the language reference itself could be problematic. So number one, to say in the Kabbalah as well as in the Torah, you've got to be careful with that. I know what you mean. When you say the Torah, you probably mean the scriptures. But there are people out there who understand that Torah is the entire body of all literature of Jewish thought, whether it be legal thought, philosophical thought, spiritual thought, or scripture. And it's important to understand that Kabbalah is part of Torah. It's part of Torah as much as the Talmud is part of Torah. It is part of Torah as much as the scripture is part of Torah. And we need to know that. There's no hierarchy over here that says, well, Kabbalah is kind of a sidebar. It's it's not that important. It's part and parcel of Torah. Which brings me to the second point about saying the Kabbalah. You see, when, when people say the Kabbalah, well, that implies that it, it, it's like an entity. You know, like as if the Kabbalah, that methodology of thinking. It's really important to understand Kabbalah is a term that positions the learner rather than the material. It's very important to understand that the word Kabbalah in Hebrew translates it not to the word mysticism or esotericism. Interesting. You would have thought that, right? You would have thought Kabbalah means the mystical or the esoteric. It doesn't. Kabbalah means to receive. Le Kabel. And that's what's so incredibly important about it. If a person does want to delve into the mystical side of Judaism, you have to know that the key is you have to be in a state of Kabbalah. You have to be in a state of readiness to receive what the information tells you. Rather, rather than to say, I'm going to impose certain things that I've heard in other mystical streams or teachings, and I'd like that to also appear in Kabbalah as well. So it's really important that we know that. So let's, you don't say the Kabbalah as if it's some kind of a, a group of books or a methodology of study. It's actually a state of being that I need to place myself in, in order to be able to access that which is more spiritual. And then the third point is, is this in Kabbalah as well as in the Torah? It's really important for us to understand that Kabbalah is a layer of interpretation 
of every piece of the Torah. In other words, the Torah is an organic, interlaced, uh, how best to say it? It's like a a, a DNA of a, a bigger organ, a bigger entity. That means to say in every piece of Torah, you will discover every other piece of Torah. So there's no such thing as saying, is this only in that particular section of Judaism, in that particular section of the Torah, not in another section? It will automatically, if it's in the scripture, there's a Kabbalistic view or insight into that scripture. If it's in the Talmud, there's a Kabbalistic insight into the Talmud. So I know that that's quite a lot of reading into a very short email. To go back to the original question, so this war of Gog and Magog, is it in Kabbalah? Yes, absolutely. And part of the conversation is around the question of whether or not it has to, in fact, be a literal world war because that's the implication in the scriptures and very often what Kabbalah does for us is it removes things from their literal meaning and explains that there's the option for us to avoid the literal issue if we could deal with the same issue spiritually so let's use maybe not the Gog and Magog example because that's a little bit involved but let's use an, an example that's a lot simpler we know that when the Jews were in Egypt as slaves the Torah tells us that they were slaves using Choymer and Levenim Choymer is essentially cement and Levenim are bricks that's how they built the cities that they were then driven to build now in the Kabbalistic explanation, we say Choymer refers to the concept of Kal Vachoymer, which is a particular study method that we use quite a lot in Talmudic teaching. And Levena comes from the word Libun, which means to clarify. So it's clarifying what the actual law is in a particular scenario. So the Kabbalah, uh, you see, I did it. The Kabbalah, no. Kabbalah, Jewish mysticism says that through understanding that you could potentially achieve breaking your head over trying to understand the Kalvachomer or the Libun Hilchasa, how you get to the conclusion of a practical application of a scriptural reference, that sweat, that exertion, that stress could replace the stress of being a physical slave who's dragging around bricks and trying to lay them with concrete, with cement. So the same kind of thing with Gog and Magog. Is it literal? Is there actually going to be this full-blown apocalyptic war? Or could there possibly be something which is a spiritual version of the same thing and we could avoid the physical difficulty by going through a spiritual equivalent. So at, that was actually a great question, Rene, because it touched on so many different facets of this conversation. So keep them coming because I think that there's there's really interesting stuff that we could talk about, including this WhatsApp from Magdalena who says, "What? where, where does reincarnation fit in? And I love the way you say this, being recycled and then in brackets with respect. I love that because – Reincarnation, I was expecting that somebody would ask about reincarnation because automatically that's got to be in the esoteric. It's got to be in the mystical side. It's not something you speak about in tangible terms or scientific terms or even legal terms. You might talk about it in philosophical terms, but it certainly leans towards the esoteric. And that's a big subject. And so what I'm going to do is we're going to first take a break and then we'll come back just to visit that question of reincarnation because many people for some strange reason believe that Jews don't by the concept of reincarnation. I don't know why. There's a fair amount of literature in 
all areas of Judaism, not only in the esoteric that speaks about it. So I don't know where it got lost in the shuffle. We'll talk about it uh, briefly, of course, because it deserves a lot more time than we can afford today. Meanwhile, keep those topics coming. What Kabbalistic topic would you like to hear more about? 34519. If you're going to SMS us, you can always WhatsApp 0618951019. It's going to be a fun afternoon. Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. Just love the way it always heats up when we start running out of time. Now the messages are starting to come through. If you'd like to jump on the bandwagon, absolutely. You know what? I was thinking about it. If we don't get through everybody's questions today, then I've got a whole bunch of topics that we can use on future shows. So keep them coming. 34519 if you're going to SMS in. WhatsApp number is 0618 you can tweet at Rabbi Shish You can tweet at Chai FM And we're talking today because it is Lag Ba'omer Which is a very spiritual, mystical, powerful day So we're talking about Jewish mysticism We're talking about Kabbalah I'm challenging you What question or questions do you have about Jewish mysticism That you'd like answered Which topic have you possibly come across And would like to know more about Now just before we took that song As I mentioned earlier We don't normally play music on the show But you've got to do it today it's like by Omer, you've got to. It's just such a celebratory day. So Magdalena asked about reincarnation, and we could talk about that for hours. It's a fascinating topic. What's ironic is that shortly before coming into studio, somebody came over to me and asked exactly the same question. Okay, it was a little bit more nuanced, but uh, about reincarnation. So let's try and do it a little bit of justice in literally a few minutes. We've got a couple other questions to try and deal with as well. Maybe we should do a show on reincarnation. That would be interesting. Let's hear your votes on that one. Do you think we should? I think we should do a show on reincarnation. I'll give you a shameless plug over here. I'm actually doing a four-part series starting on the 16th of May on exactly that, souls and soul journeys. So maybe you can come along and join us for that one as well. You need some details. I'll happily give you off air. So the question is reincarnation. Absolutely very, very much spoken about. Ironically, not only in Kabbalah, by the way, you can find it referenced in Talmudic literature as well. You can find it referenced in many of the commentaries on the scriptures. Uh, One of the most famous statements around reincarnation is that we're told that Pinchas, who was a, a nobody really, and suddenly burst into absolute fame when he stood up for the honor of God at a time when the Midianites were seducing Jewish men. And by the way, that's going to come to Ronnie's question. So just keep that one in mind. It's going to come back to Ronnie's question. So Pinchas, we're told, was reincarnated as the prophet Elijah. Now that's stated in the Talmud, believe it or not. But what you will find is that you'll find the references generally to reincarnated people is in all kinds of places in Jewish literature. But the idea of how reincarnation works, what the process is, how the soul progresses through various stages of reincarnation, why souls reincarnate. By the way, most people think that souls reincarnate purely because they've messed up in the past and have to come and fix it. It's not that simple at all. It's also not that simple, by the way. And I'll share this with you because uh, it's something that popped up in our Ask the Rabbi Facebook group not so long ago. So it's fresh. Uh, and that is most people believe that reincarnation works like this. That there's a fellow called Abi. He lives, then he dies, he goes to heaven, he gets reincarnated, so he comes back as Jaime, he lives, he dies, he goes back to heaven, he comes back as Solly, he lives, he dies, and so on and so forth. That is not at all how it is explained in Kabbalistic literature, at all. Souls are not physical. <clears throat> 
<clears throat> souls don't get um, redeployed from position A to position B. It's much more complex than that. A soul is comparable to a flame, just like you can have a flame that lights a new fire, and the original flame is not diminished. So the reincarnation concept speaks a lot about that, where you have souls that ignite new lives, and those new lives then kind of pick up where the last soul left off, to the mutual benefit, or if things go sour, to the mutual devastation of both souls. So it's a phenomenal concept, certainly spoken about in Kabbalistic literature, and certainly spoken about in quite a lot of detail. So I'm glad we got that question. And like I said, that brings us to Ronnie's question. Ronnie's question was quite specific. We know that at this time of the year, today, Lag Boimer, in addition to the fact that we celebrate the Yorzeit of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, one of the other things that we celebrate is there was a period from after the holiday of Pesach until today where 24,000 students of one of the greatest Talmudic teachers ever, Rabbi Akiva, died due to a strange epidemic. And it was devastating. You're talking about people who were leaders in the community. They were the intellectual capital of the Jewish nation at that time. It was horrific. So, Ronnie wanted to know, why 24,000? Why was that the number of students who died? It sounds so perfect. That also, it's a large number. It's a huge number. And it sounds a bit weird. Why specifically that number? So, Kabbalah teaches us that those 24,000 students were the reincarnated souls of the 24,000 people who died at the time of Pinchas, right? I just referenced Pinchas before. We're talking when the Jews were in the desert, when the Midianite women came and seduced the Jewish men to all kinds of things that were inappropriate, including idolatry. 24,000 people died at that point in time in a plague. And it was those 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva who were those souls here to try and rectify what had gone wrong the previous time and perhaps didn't do as good a job as they needed to and landed up dying again in a plague. So interesting. We could talk about this literally for hours. Keep them coming. What else would you like to hear about on the Kabbalistic conversation on the topic keep them coming on 34519 or by whatsapp on 0618951019 join rabbi ari shishler for some fresh thinking every thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 high fm 101.9 megahertz of power okay and like i say they keep coming right always right towards the end of the show last few minutes what can we still squeeze in and the truth of the matter is you can't squeeze anything kabbalistic into a small space or into a small amount of time because it's deep and it's complex stuff and it really needs time and effort and exploration and as i mentioned before kabbalah the uh, the, the willingness to receive to hear to accept rather than to try and color the information with your own bias so here's another question the Moshiach is only in Kabbalah and not in the five books. Well, I don't know if that was a question or statement, but the truth of the matter is, it's not true to say that. The concept of Moshiach is overtly mentioned in just about the whole of Scripture, including the five books of the Moses. Even though, to be honest, the five books of Moses do not speak that openly about Mashiach as the prophets do, and the prophets speak a fortune about Mashiach. So a person suggesting that Mashiach is a Kabbalistic concept, no, there's a Kabbalistic understanding and appreciation of who Mashiach is, what kind of a soul Mashiach would have, what would shift in terms of our world in order for Mashiach to happen. Like I've said earlier, Kabbalah is, in a sense, like understanding the coding behind creation. So 
What's going to shift in the coding? And I mean that quite literally because we understand that the natural reality that we live in today is a result of certain combinations of divine energies that because they're coded in this particular way are designed to obscure and hide God from view. So we walk around our lives wondering, is there a God? Isn't there a God? Is it true that he said I have to behave in this particular way? What's going to change in the Messianic age is there'll be a recoding of our world that things suddenly appear differently. And things we previously were unable to see or to intuit will suddenly know. So that part of understanding Moshiach, that you'll find in Kabbalistic literature, the understanding of the resurrection of souls, the return of souls to this world, the interaction that will take place between the great righteous souls and the ordinary souls, the nature of the world, the nature of people and all their various beliefs. But the references to Mashiach as an idea and as a person, that you will find everywhere in Judaism. You'll find it in our liturgy, you'll find it in the Talmud, you'll find it in Midrashim, you'll find it in the scripture, as I've mentioned, most of the prophets speak about it. You'll find it in our books of philosophy, you'll find it in our books of Jewish law, and you'll even find it in the opening sentences of Genesis. Yes, admittedly, not overtly, but the moment you examine What the Talmud, for example, has to say about the opening lines of Genesis, you'll see that the reference to Moshiach is right there, right from the beginning. And I'm glad that that's what we're wrapping up with, because the big difference between most Torah literature and Kabbalistic literature is that most Torah literature is WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. You open the book, you read it, you can understand it quite literally. Yes, of course, you have to bend your mind in order to understand the Talmud. It's higher grade stuff. But still, it talks about concepts that are relatable. It talks about things which are tangible. What do you do if somebody damages your property? What do you do if somebody steals from you? How do you put together a marriage? What are the laws about work on Shabbos? It's tangible stuff. That's what we call revealed Torah. Mysticism is concealed Torah. That means what you see is not what you get. You read the stuff, you think you've understood it. Actually, it's smoke and mirrors. It's deliberately designed to distract you from the real message. The world that we live in currently is a world that is called a revealed world. What you see is what you get. There's a whole lot of stuff about our world we don't understand. It's not revealed, so we mostly ignore it, including the fact that we're all made up of of subatomic particles. We don't think about that on a regular basis. We ignore it. We think, I'm here, this is me, and the food that I eat becomes the fat in my body. But the Messianic age is the time where the Kabbalistic becomes the tangible, where the esoteric becomes what's normal, where the hidden becomes revealed. And so maybe that's why people believe that Mashiach is spoken about primarily in Kabbalistic sources, because there's a tremendous resonance between Kabbalah and Mashiach. And so I'll leave you with this thought. Don't just satisfy yourself with a little bit of information that we've been able to share here today. Find out more. Find out which parts of esoteric teachings in Judaism are more accessible, like, for example, the teachings of Hasidus that are more accessible than Kabbalah, and pursue them. You'll be blown away by the kind of things that you'll learn about yourself, about life, about meaning, about the future. It's really beautiful stuff. So have a wonderful rest of Lag Boimer. It's a celebratory time. Let's celebrate. It's a time of miracles. It's hope for miracles. Have a wonderful Shabbos and please God, a spectacular week ahead.